It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Drive with my boy, Nick Braccia. Here to talk about last week's UFC event in which Jan Blackowitz scored a resounding first-round knockout over Corey Anderson. And we're going to break down this weekend's following card, UFC on ESPN+, etc., etc., Auckland, Felder versus Hooker. Nikolai, how are you, my friend? What's up, my man, Stan? I'll tell you what, my head's a little bit lighter than it was last week. I, as you predicted, I uh, I abdicated. <laughs> Abdicated is one way to put it. Uh, I think that's how <laughs> Conor McGregor describes his loss to Khabib Nurmagomedov. And it's kind of similar if you think about it, right? Khabib dominated the first two rounds. And then Conor kind of did pretty well in that third round. And Conor just feels like that is that means everything. That makes him champion. That means he deserved the fight. And then that fourth round, uh, it all went downhill for uh, our boy Conor McGregor. Nikolai, I'm comparing myself to 28-0 Khabib Nurmagomedov. How do you feel about that? Um, well, you do have more right to call yourself uh, Dagestani than I do, even though you're not Dagestani. You, you're you're from considerably closer than I am. I am I am uh, from a I am from a Soviet Muslim country, so it is it is kind of close, and I'm pretty sure Dagestan is is not far off from where we are. But yeah, um, I don't I don't quite have his wrestling, Nick. I'm not gonna lie to you. My grappling is no, just a don't. tad tad bit lower in level than Khabib Nurmagomedov's. And neither one, to be frank, like this last card, it, it wasn't terrific, and neither one of us picked great. I had some great, I had some, I think, really solid picks, and I, I also uh, picked some guys that you agreed with that didn't pull it out. Um, and we both had weird wins that we didn't deserve on on uh, illegal knees. So it was a strange, very, very, very strange card. Um, but let's take it. Let's take it from the top. What did you think of? Uh, Jan Blankovic and, and Corey Anderson. Uh, there was, Corey Anderson had a lot of momentum going into this fight. Uh, yeah, everyone was like, he got his head, he's got his head on straight. He sorted out his chin. He picked up archery and had the coolest looking bow I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know a lot about bow hunting or archery, but it's it sure looked awesome. Uh, the coolness of the look of the bow is positively correlated with the accuracy, Nick. So yeah. uh, actually a fair estimation on your end. It works <laughs> like it does in Warcraft. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and, and all of their video games. But, uh, you know, it, it looked to me like you know, Anderson had good head movement. He's obviously a really athletic guy. But he did what a, a lot of guys who've got the wrestling core do is the fight starts on the feet. And he was trying to set up takedowns, but he, he played, you know, he played with fire uh, a little bit and got scorched. I don't know that there's much else, much else to say except – um, Jan's always, Jan's always going to be there ready with a, with a nasty counter. Um, and he packs, he packs a lot of punch, particularly if you're moving forward into it with your chin. Uh, what do you, what do you have to say? And what, how do you, how do you rate that fight? Uh, how do you rate the performances and how do you, uh, feel about Blokovic, uh, technically? I think Blokovic, like what I'm realizing about him and, and it took for this fight for me to really come to this conclusion is that he's one of those fighters that needs an opponent that throws plenty of offense at him at this point in his career for him to find his mark. He's not aggressive normally, right? If you're going to stay 
at the end of his kicking range, he's probably not going to throw a whole lot, kind of like we saw in his last fight against Ronaldo Jacare Souza. If you're not going to be aggressive toward him, he's not going to do much. Thiago Santos was also fairly careful, wasn't very aggressive toward him. It was Blackowick's moment of weakness where he decided, you know what, this has been a slow fight. I'm just going to run forward and get him. And that's when Santos was able to get him on the counter. Luke Rockhold was aggressive and he got punished for it. He got countered for it. Souza was very careful and it led to a tepid decision win for Blackwicks. Corey Anderson was busy, man. He's constantly busy. He's kind of similar to the guys like Cain Velasquez and uh, Curtis Blades, Blades in that way. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, that he will give you something to counter if countering is your expertise. And again, much like Cain Velasquez and Curtis Blades, for a pressure fighter, his chin is not that great. And that's something that Blackwicks was able to take advantage of. Corey Anderson was staying busy. And I think for anybody that says Corey Anderson was a fool for not going for takedowns, you don't understand the sport of MMA if, if you're saying that, right? Same thing with Campbell Velasquez against JDS the first time they fought. Just because you get knocked out in a couple of minutes into the first round and you have wrestling ability doesn't mean you have to push the wrestling from the very moment of the, uh, the first moment of the fight, especially in a five-rounder. Corey Anderson needed to set up his takedowns. Unfortunately, he didn't right. get to do that. He took a big shot. His chin wasn't able to stand up to it. Uh, at this point in Corey, I mean, he had, you're right, a lot of momentum going into this fight, but he's got knockouts in his last three losses. He was hurt, if I remember correctly, by Mauricio Hua in the split decision loss there. Gian Vellante knocked him out yes. a few years back. So every one of his losses, except for one, is by knockout. And this is just another example of it. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. For, for guys like that, why don't we see more of them? Maybe it's just a question of reach or it's a question of technique. You know, GSP um, got really good at maintaining range and, you know, working that jab, which you know, kept him, you can certainly get countered when you're jabbing, but you're not going to, you're not going to run into the same kind of shot, I don't think, or the same, the same kind of power um, at that distance and keeping your weight back a bit, right? So why, why don't we see those guys um, who, I mean, we saw, I think we saw Blades jab a little bit more in his, in his, uh, in his last fight. I can't remember exactly, but it, it would seem to me that that would be the strategy that GSP is kind of, taught those guys what to do um, as they're doing all the measuring calculations and getting set for their shot. What do you, what do you have to say to that? To your point, GSP didn't become an extremely careful fighter until he got uh, finished a couple of times. The last time being by Matt Serra. That fight made him extremely cautious and left him on the back foot fairly consistently. Uh, he became a big jabber all of a sudden. His entire game revolved around his takedown and setting up that takedown and winning by points, right? So to your point, that's very fair. But GSP, it does seem like the pressure mentality is something that you either have or you don't. Guys like Blades, Cain Velasquez, guys like Corey Anderson, it's almost like they, they can't not push forward and get to you and, and, and just want to get you. And it's fascinating because all three of these guys that we're using as an example here, all three of them have a little bit of a weakness in the chin if nowhere else. And you're right. Going forward, it only increases your odds of getting knocked out by your opponent's shot because the force of your chin going into the punch is only adding to the power of that punch. The first time I ran into a big right hand by a guy that ended up competing in glory and, and you know, was an extremely heavy hitter, that taught me a lesson. I was like, holy shit, I can't just push forward. I can't just throw everything at a guy. I've got to be cautious. I've got to be on the back foot. GSP learned that lesson. It doesn't seem like these guys have it in them. 
And I do think partially it's a mentality thing and also a pressure style. If you can work it out, if you have the conditioning for it, it can be so effective against so many different kinds of opponents. I just think maybe those pressure fighters should be very cautious against a serious counterpuncher who has good conditioning. Uh, I think maybe the game plan should be switched up a little bit for that scenario. I do think it's a mind frame thing. So who hit who hit you and what happened? Uh, I was... You know what? His name escapes me. He ended up, I mean, we were literally just first starting training in, in this school in the middle of Manhattan, uh, Muay Thai, and it was our first sparring match, and I was piecing him up. I was doing whatever I wanted to him because I was fa- always fairly fast, um, and I had a good reach, and, and the, the guy maybe is 6'2", so he's not much shorter than me, but man, he has incredibly heavy hands, and I discovered that by taking a right hand from him. And, you know, I wasn't dazed or anything, but I remember thinking like, holy shit, man, that guy, like I can't just go forward like that. I've gotta be more cautious. And it really did, it changed my mindset in a big way. Um, when it came to the stand-up specifically, because in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I was still fairly aggressive because, you know, I didn't get punished for it a whole lot. So, yeah, and, and then the pressure style is something that I've developed more recently into my game because I realized the effectiveness of it. It increases your chances of finishing a guy who's super durable, who has a good chin. If you can just overwhelm him with your offense, if you have the right defense to pull that off, if you have the conditioning to do it, I've realized there's so much value to it. So I'm a big fan of the pressure game, but if you don't have a great chin, and and that's something that I've been fortunate, very fortunate with through no effort of my own, is that I've never really been rocked on the feet. Uh, I've been hit hard and I've seen a white flash, but I've never been downed. I took a head kick in uh, my last fight and I didn't know it hit me. I just remember seeing a white flash and then I took him into the clinch and started kneeing him. But it's just something I was fortunate enough to have that some of these guys, it's not that simple. And also the guys with the great chins, eventually they wear down. And I don't think Corey Anderson's chin is getting any better as he progresses in his career. It was an interesting storyline after this where Jan Blackowicz pointed to John Jones, who was in the crowd since the event was in his home state of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And John Jones got up on that stool and, and made motions to the fact that he's impressed. I think especially given all the trash talk that Corey Anderson had thrown at him to only get knocked out uh, in this event in front of John Jones. That must have been really tough on him. But John Jones in an interview after was asked whether, you know, yeah, Blackwicks did enough, and John Jones basically made it clear that he did, that he'd like to fight him. And then when he was asked about Dominic Reyes, he essentially said the UFC and I would need to have a meeting for that fight to potentially happen. So suddenly the story's changing. Uh, I think who John Jones fights next is going to tell us where he is mentally in his career. I've had a theory for a little while now that he's being fairly choosy about his opponents in a fairly lackluster division. He's still being fairly choosy. He's choosing middleweights to fight every chance he gets. Um, now he's choosing Yang Blackowitz, who, by the way, is very deserving. If John Jones didn't look tepid in the first three rounds against Dominic Reyes, I would have been happy for him to face Yang Blackowitz next. But given the performance that Dominic Reyes put on, given the questions around John Jones right now, I think if he chooses to fight anyone but Dominic Reyes next. I think it says a lot about what, his belief in himself and where he sees himself at this point in his career. What are your thoughts? The more time that we've had to think about it, the more impressed I am with what Jones did against Reyes because of his composure. And I'm going to make the argument that I think if Dominic Reyes uh, has a fight against someone else between um, his recent loss to Jones and a rematch, that he'll actually be a more dangerous competitor uh, for Jones. 
The thing is, and we talked about this a little bit last week, Jones' ascent largely came against guys that were on the downside. Guys that a lot of them, you know, weren't necessarily uh, that big, at, you know, at the time. He fought a couple of, you know, he, he fought a couple of middleweights before, also, and guys like and guys like Chael Sonnen and and Rashad Evans. Uh, well, Rashad Evans went to middleweight afterwards, but he, you know, the rampages, the Shoguns, um, the Machida was was uh, had already, you know. Uh, taken a few losses by that point. I just think that I thought I think Jones looked really good. I think Reyes is young and mean and doesn't have a lot of miles on him, and is very very talented and athletic. And Jones, uh, what Jones did from a composure and psychology standpoint in that fight is championship material. Regard, and he had a champion chin. Um, so yes, it was, it is a somewhat disputed decision, but I think, um, you know, I think Jan Bakovic is a, is a dangerous fight for anyone. Jones isn't going to run into his fist and Jones and Jones is faster, um, a lot faster and And should be able to control and busier and should be able to control, uh, control the range. I think, I think he's a much, Jan Bakovic should, sure he's got a puncher's chance. I think he should be a much easier um, fighter for Jones to piece apart. He's also kind of plotting. I don't. I don't think he has bad footwork or anything, but he's not. Um, he's not as fast. He's not. It's not as explosive as Reyes. He's not doing wild things with angles um, where he can where he can catch you. He's kind of a very very good like meat and potatoes striker, and uh, I think you know. I don't think he's going to do anything that Jones didn't nullify when he fought Glover Teixeira, for example. So I think Reyes is the more dangerous fight, but I also think Reyes is more dangerous to fight two fights down the road than he is to fight next. So I honestly think if Jones wanted the easier fight, he'd fight Dominic Reyes in six months um, when he's only had six months to get better instead of a year, year and a half to get better, um, to build up more confidence, to get hungrier. Jones is only going to get older in that time. Um, and put a few more put a few more miles on uh, with another defense. So I, I really get six one half a dozen of another. Like Reyes is going to get another shot as long as long as he doesn't like you know have a fluke loss uh, or you know get in his head or or get overconfident. Um, so I've got no problem with Blankovich is also thirty six. I think maybe almost thirty seven. This is um, you know probably if he's going to get a shot, the time is now. So I would I've got no I don't think there's any hiding from Reyes in taking the Vlakovic uh, fight now uh, matching Reyes up against maybe the winner of um, who's Anthony Smith, Anthony Smith fight next Glover Teixeira um, uh, okay. in April okay so that's actually so, a little right, ways so, away no nah, I mean not that much. two months away yeah um, what's I mean Anthony Smith should Anthony Smith should pulverize twenty twenty Glover Teixeira. Um, I don't know if he will, but um, and if he does, then that's a that's a fight I want to see with the winner of that fight getting the. I, I like that setup better. The winner of that fight earns the earns the rematch with Jones. They both want it. They both had a shot. They both had to have the time to think about it and figure him out. Yada yada. Um, so I think that sets up a good story while giving Jan Blakovich the title shot that he deserves um, when he's still closer to his prime.
my, my argument isn't that Reyes wouldn't benefit from a five-round fight in between the first Jones fight and, and his rematch. My argument is that Jones is probably going to try to avoid him. And if he does in this case, if he chooses someone else to fight, my argument is that that tells us something about where Jones is mentally, how much he believes in himself. You do. I disagree. He fought Cormier twice. He fought Gustafson twice, who gave him that nasty fight. John Jones is never really, I mean, who's he, who's he dodging? Like he's not, He's never really dodged anybody. He, he does like. Well, Anderson he tried Silva. to avoid fighting Dominic Reyes the first time when that came up. He he was talking about other people that are more deserving and how he doesn't want to fight him, even though he was happy to fight guys like Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos, who he saw on paper as easier matchups. In this case, clearly on paper, the easier matchups for Jones, as we just kind of discussed, is Ian Blackowicz over Dominic yeah. Reyes. Dominic Reyes, a lot of fans believe he deserved, a lot of fans and pundits believe he deserved the fight over Jones. And if Jones doesn't want to quiet all those people as soon as possible, if Jones doesn't want to take the big fight, I think that tells us something. And also, I will say this quickly. Jones, after the fight, I actually got to see uh, footage of him talking to Reyes. And before the decision was announced, it sounded to me like Jones was basically saying, you did a great job, you did an excellent job, our rematch is going to be epic. I think Jones believed that he lost that fight too, leading up to, and again, coupled with the fact that Jones alluded to the takedowns being the main reason that he got the fight, even though he didn't get takedowns until the fourth and fifth round, which he won anyway. I honestly believe that Jones thought he lost the fight going into the announcement of that decision. I, I maybe, maybe. I, I mean, here's what I think. I just, I, th- I think he's going to either, he's either going to fight him in four months or he's going to fight him in eight months or he's going to fight him in six months or or 10 months. Like, it's going down no matter what. I wouldn't be surprised if Jones plans to fight uh, Jan Blackwicks. And then I don't know if there's anyone else really that deserving. Maybe Vulcan Ozdemir if he can pick up another win in the meantime. But I wouldn't mind, by the way, quickly, if Dominic Reyes is not fighting John Jones next, I would love to see him and Vulcan go five rounds. I think that would be a great test for him. Somebody that's durable really? and won't go away early. Somebody that we know he already had a competitive fight with, but this time five rounds, I think would give him the experience he needs. And if he can't get rid of Vulcan Ozdemir, who is at his best at this moment in his career, then maybe he doesn't deserve the light heavyweight title shot. Maybe Vulcan does instead. But Good point. Um, but, but I, I mean, again, if I'm Jones and I'm looking at what's in my best interest, if I don't want to fight Dominic Reyes, then I don't want to fight him, period. I think if, if, if I'm Jones, I am fighting Blackowicz and then moving up to heavyweight to fight Stipe, hoping that he doesn't lose to Francis Ngannou in the meantime. And then maybe an Israel Adesanya matchup. I think Jones is going to come into a point in his career where he won't just be taking these contenders again and again. I think he's going to want bigger fights that are winnable on paper. And also, I think for Jones, moving to an easier division in heavyweight would be to his credit. Outside of facing Francis Ngannou, I, I like his odds against just about every other heavyweight. The, the division's just not at the same not at the same level as Jones. And Jones has been head and shoulders above light heavyweight for a little bit. Um, I just, I don't know. I just feel like if Jones doesn't want to shut everybody up and show that he's the better man, if Jones doesn't want to quail any doubts and fight Dominic Reyes next, if Dominic Reyes is not injured and Jones chooses to fight Jan Blackowicz, then that says something about Jones' confidence. Now, if Jones fights him after that. Does it say he wants to give the, he, he wants to give the old, he wants to give the old guy the money fight before he retires? I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think of Jones as, I don't think of Jones as somebody as, uh, as somebody that wants to do not, something for somebody else's career. He's, he's not but, magnanimous like that. No red 
I, I, I don't think so. Although Red Penny Knight, Conor McGregor, anybody that fights him is going to have that if they have a decent manager. Sounds like Donald Cerrone does not uh, fall under that category, unfortunately. But I do. I, I just think Jones. You don't, is, wait, it, wait, wait, wait. You don't think yeah. you don't think Cerrone had got a Red Penny Knight out of that fight? Apparently, Cerrone's alluded a few times. Like there were rumors about him making one or two million dollars, and he kind of That's... made it very clear that that is not the case. And. Oh. And, and like somebody asked him in an interview if he made any more money. He was like, I mean, it wasn't really that much of a red penny net for me. Like it wasn't that big of a deal when it comes to the money. Um, you got to you gotta consider that, and I know we're jumping subjects here, but this is interesting stuff, I think. You got to consider that Cerrone's the guy who, you know, joined that movement to build a union against the UFC. And then as soon as Dana White got on the phone with him, Cerrone changed his mind and decided that he never had anything to do with it to begin with. I think Cerrone's a real, real loyal guy to the UFC. And I think the UFC, if you're about to fight Conor McGregor and your manager doesn't give him a call and say, hey, let's uh, let's work something out here because this money is going to make you – this fight is going to make you a lot of money and we'd like a piece of it. If nobody says that to, to Dana White, Dana White's not going to offer you a couple million dollars to fight him. And just again, the stuff that Donald Cerrone said, it sounds like he – didn't really negotiate very well, unfortunately. I'm very I mean, curious because he's in the main event of a pay-per-view that allegedly did like 800,000 or a million buys. I need to check that out. Right. But usually the guy, the guys in the main event would have a piece of that. So right, anyway. Right. And again, a, a, lot of, a lot of that goes on to the management of the fighter to make sure that happens. This wasn't a title fight, so there's no automatic clause uh, that in a title fight you get a percentage of the pay-per-views because I think every Got UFC it. fighter Got has it. that automatically. So that kind of created a weird situation there. I hope Cerrone made some serious money from that beating, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. But back yeah. to this. Um, I, listen, look, I, I agree with you. If Jones ends up fighting Jan and then fights Dominic Reyes at the end of the year, then I've got no argument to make. I give Jones credit, all the credit in the world. I think Jones is either going to fight Dominic ASAP, knowing that Dominic is going to improve all the more after this, or... He's going to avoid Dominic un- unless Dominic picks up a loss in the meantime. That's my theory. Well, we'll see Dom- how that works If Dominic works out. wins the rematch, then they've got a trilogy. So Yeah, um, and a lot of money to be made against Dominic Reyes. And you don't want to risk Dominic Reyes picking up a loss if you really do believe that you can beat the guy, right? There's a lot of money to be made on this rematch. This is this could be John Jones's biggest pay-per-view since Daniel Cormier. And if he doesn't want to fight him, if he wants to fight Jan Blackwoods, who will not talk any trash who will not sell any pay-per-views on his end, then, I again, I, I think that says something about Jones's confidence in himself. Again, mm-hmm. if Jones does end up fighting Dominic Reyes after, then, uh, you know, then I'm wrong and, and you are absolutely right. Well, let's go through the rest of this card quickly because a lot of it was a snooze or just plain weird, like the co-main event where Diego Sanchez got strange advice from his corner and didn't look particularly aggressive, looked, looked small, looked a little meek in there. Um, you know, landed a couple of combos, but was very hesitant to engage. And then Michelle Perea, who fights it like he's a circus performer, um, I don't didn't quite know what to make of it. And then it it ended. You know, Sanchez certainly was down two rounds to nil, um, in my opinion. And uh, Perea um, landed an illegal knee, and Sanchez, you know, crafty. I don't hold him hold it against him. Uh, took the DQ win. Uh, you know, it could mean double the money. It could mean another fight in the UFC. Uh, Paya just does not seem to have the scruples to be in there uh, at this level. I don't really think there's anything else to say, but if you want to add something, go for it. First of all, I predicted a third round disqualification win for Diego Sanchez, and I think I deserve a lot Did of credit he, for that. Wait a minute. 
Are you serious? Absolutely not. Who the fuck would have guessed that? Oh, um, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, I, I will. You and I both thought that Diego Sanchez. We predicted Diego Sanchez win. Yeah, but not that kind. Yeah, and, and and you know what? It it wasn't looking good for a couple of rounds there. And look, I, I alluded to one thing. The the one con- major concern that I had about Diego Sanchez, I like that this was at elevation. I like that Diego Sanchez is accustomed to fighting at elevation. Diego Sanchez had on paper the cardio advantage throughout his career, whereas Michelle Pereira gassed out last time in a situation where it wasn't that elevation. He had a full training camp, right? There wasn't a whole lot of excuse for it, um, except that he blew his load in the first round against a smaller guy, by the way, than he was fighting in this situation in Diego Sanchez who was making his UFC debut. So on paper, Diego Sanchez had all the strengths of Michelle Pereira's last opponent, Tristan Connolly. So one thing that I had concerns about is Diego Sanchez's camp. He switched camps to this new, uh, under this weird uh, MMA-ish school. And I say MMA-ish because I went to their website and his head coach is listed as like a mind coach and like a self-awareness coach. And they have no actual MMA experts teaching classes there they have like a yoga instructor Diego Sanchez and that head coach and that's it and that head coach <laughs> is the only guy that shows up to his corner here and Diego Sanchez fights like a complete neophyte even though don't get me wrong Michelle Pereira could have beat him up anyway right but Diego Sanchez didn't do any of the things that would have given him a good shot at beating Pereira and one thing that worried me leading into the fight is that in his pre-fight interview he said something like oh, I've been fighting a long time I could do spinning stuff I could do flips and I was like oh my God, he's going to try to out Michelle Pereira Pereira. And he did. He, he came in there and hit a rolling thunder, a pro wrestling move, and actually caught Pereira with it in the first few seconds of the fight. And then it all started going downhill for him. It was the weirdest situation where uh, the illegal knee was landed by Pereira in a situation where he was dominating Diego Sanchez and maybe close to finishing him in that third round. And then Diego was informed by the referee that this happened. Diego didn't look that hurt. And clearly Diego was fine. He was standing on his own two feet. Doctor checked him out and cleared him. And then Diego kind of made the realization, I think through maybe that's the benefit of having that coach, is that the coach kind of yelled at him to take the DQ victory. And, <laughs> and Diego did. It was it was the weirdest thing. And look, uh, once the argument was made to me that like Diego has one of these contracts where he's making like 100 or 150 grand to show and 100 or 150 grand to win, I mean, would I – like who wouldn't say no to double the money and not to take a loss – and to take a win, and not to possibly get finished by Michelle Pereira, who's been beating you up this whole fight. Like, it is the smart thing to do. It's just not the Diego Sanchez thing to do. It's not the Diego Sanchez we know, right? Well, it's the a- Diego Sanchez that we know at some point in that second round would have bit down on the mouthpiece and, you know, body slammed the head to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that, you know, and like, that's what we that's what we were waiting for. We, I was waiting for an, an aggressive grappling um, ground and pound in jiu-jitsu performance and he didn't yeah. he did look he did look a lot smaller in there um but he just yeah he looked like he looked like a little kid who didn't know what to do i will quickly say though michelle Pereira, who is known for having cardio issues who's known for just wasting all of his energy with those explosive movements he was relatively kind of pulled back in this one in his, in his entrance, he didn't literally do capoeira and, and breakdancing before the fight started, which he did in his last fight. He actually tempered himself, did less of the explosive movements. He, uh, he did breakdancing during when they called his name. When, oh, he when, did. He when, still did it. When oh, Joe Mar- yeah, when Joe Martinez announced him, he did a windmill. He did. Okay. All right. But, but it did seem like during the fight, he tempered himself compared to the last fight. 
he was doing some explosive motions, but less costly motions, and he was spreading them apart. There were several minutes, a minute or so, in between each one of them, and he honestly didn't look like he was tired in that third round, which is a good sign. Um, he made a mistake, obviously, landing that knee, and to be honest with you, you can't really blame Diego for taking the win and earning double the pay and you know getting himself a victory there. Um, Montel de Rosa got a gritty win over Mara Romero Barella to Montana's credit after her husband got a, uh, took a knockout loss earlier in the night. Brock Weaver got a weird disqualification win over Rodrigo Vargas, who's doing really well, holding top position, you know, doing clearly winning that first round with a minute left before he landed that knee that literally knocked Brock Weaver out for about a second or two. And the referee, I think it was Jason Herzog, who I think is phenomenal, waved it off. And, uh, and Lando Venata, I thought that he'd be the quicker guy. I thought he'd do well on the counter against Yancey Medeiros. That worked out. Ray Borg got grappled. Bontorin, I think you and I both expected that. Uh, and the first round being competitive and Ray Borg to kind of suck the life out of, out of Bontorin as the fight went on. It's about what we expected. Daniel Rodriguez, man, knocked, knocked down Tim Means in the first round and then ended up just roughing him up and getting a submission in the second round. That was his UFC debut. The guy's 11-1. That was super impressive. Yep. And uh, and I do think we have to mention quickly maybe just three other fights, and that's John Dotson's third-round yeah, knockout it's, over Nathaniel Yeah, Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Woods a, is a great fighter, good up-and-comer, but Dotson showed up in a way he hasn't in a while. We've known he's had he has you know lightning in his fists forever. This is a guy that dropped Demetrius Johnson a couple times um, and knocked out TJ Dillashaw. Like, Dotson really has, you know, has the stuff, but he's gotten a little bit older. He... He hasn't had any KOs uh, in a while, and his last fight, he definitely looked a bit diminished. But he's, uh, you know, he still he showed that he still got the thunder, and he doesn't want to be he doesn't want to be a gatekeeper. Um, so you know, a lot like a lot like the Hernandez Cerrone fight here, I would say, narratively. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He lost that first round and started to take over in the second before finishing in the third. You're right, very similar. And I will say quickly, a lot of those Jackson Wink guys, I think they realized the quality of their training has gone down below the gutter and they all they started this uh jackson's tacoma gym something's that is up a, at, something's up at jackson wink because angry ex trainers are tweeting all kinds of stuff about yeah. those guys it seems like it a, sounds like it's mike wickle john because every fighter that leaves that gym who's willing to talk about it points to mike winkle john being the problem and it happens again and again. I think it even happened with Rashad Evans back in the day when he left because of the John Jones situation. Um, Mike right. Winklejohn seems to be wrong. Also, Mike Winklejohn, I think, is a pretty mediocre striking coach for high-level MMA. He's failed to improve people like John Jones, people like Holly Holm. Like, they've made almost no improvements in their striking in the last several years. And, like, he's really the guy that's in charge of that largely. I think Brandon Gibson naturally is involved with John Jones as well. But I, I just feel like... I just feel like besides being part owner of that gym, it sounds like he is the guy that's bringing it down. And I also think that uh, a lot of other gyms have caught up and Jackson Wink has failed to continue to progress and, and improve. But they have spurred some coaches that have started, you know, Fortis MMA and this and this uh, Jackson's Tacoma gym. So there is some benefit to it, I, I guess, from the long-term viability of that gym. But let me tell you something. If you are – a solid prospect, do not go to Jackson Winklejohn's gym. That is not the place to be. They will pay very little attention to you from the sounds of it. You'll be just one of 50 or 60 fighters that is there simply because of the gym's name. Uh, Marab uh, Vili, if I'm saying that properly, was a, he did exactly what I thought he would do. I really like watching that guy fight. Me he, too. He, 
I, I like him because he's got a Dennis Seaver body and he fights like you should if you have a Dennis Seaver body. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> like you're shaped like Dennis Seaver. It's like, man, you do not look very flexible. You're really going to kickbox with that, with, with those legs, with that, that torso. But this guy's so powerful and he just, you know, he just flipped Casey Kenny all around. He was fun. He's very fun to watch. I mean, very, very fun grappler to watch. I had a, I had a blast watching that fight. I agree. And, and Casey, Ken- I actually, I went back and forth on that fight. I think as of the recording of the podcast, I gave Casey Kennedy the edge and I kept it there. Um, and because I expected Casey Kennedy to be able to get up. And here's the thing about Marab Davashvili. He's a guy who fight to fight is showing significant improvements. According to Ray Longo, when he first came into that Matt Sir, Ray Longo gym, apparently he was getting thrown around in the wrestling department by uh, Aljamain Sermeling is in the same weight division. And apparently Aljamain was just tossing him around. But he's really dedicated himself to the wrestling. I think he trains with the Hofstra team as well. And, dude, like he's just tossing Casey Kenny around, who's a it's really a good grappler. Yeah, really good wrestler. And what he's really getting good at is not only keeping his opponents down, but if he can't get you down easily, he will keep you in that grappling range, much like Khabib does. If Khabib yeah. can't take you down, he's going to stick to you and hold you in a clinch. He will drape his body weight over you. He will tie you over the course of that fight. Agreed, man. And Marab, like on top of his super positive attitude, his improvements, uh, his explosiveness, his conditioning, I think he's really somebody to watch at 135 because Casey Kenny is far from a pushover. His one loss outside of this is honestly very much disputed. It was on the Contender Series. So in a lot of ways, this was technically Casey Kenny's first fight, although a lot of people thought that he didn't deserve the decision in his UFC debut. His first loss, yeah. That's right. Right, Um, right. So two other fights, right? Macy yeah. Chason, you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, she, she, you know, uh, some rough moments early and decisions, Shayna Young. I put a bet on her to win by finish, and unfortunately that one did not pan out. Uh, but she's developing as a prospect, and I think she's not ready for the middle echelon of that 135-pound division as of yet, if you ask me. And you picked the opener correctly, which is uh, Rolian uh, Pavia who uh, flattened Mark De La Rosa before his wife had to go out and get her boring decision victory. Um, yeah. But we, we can move on to what's coming up in New Zealand this coming Saturday. Let's take a quick break, uh, come back and break down UFC on ESPN, et cetera, et cetera. Felder versus Hooker Nick. This is for the dozens and dozens of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast listeners, knowing that you're a bunch of social media influencers, mavens, and mentors. I'd like to ask you to use your prestige to let people know about the podcast. We put a lot of work and research into this series, and we'd love to grow our listenership and expose more people to it. If you know someone who's into MMA but has not given us a listen, give them a heads up. I mean, who doesn't want to hear Nick and I taking turns boasting about the prior week's results, am I right? And we are back to the MMA Geek Seal Level Podcast. Nikola, you and I get to make our picks for this coming UFC event. As everybody knows, the draft pick system with us works like this. We each take turns picking fighters. Uh, the guy with the most number of winning fighters at the end of the event ends up winning the weekend. I think thus far we are four, uh, three and one in my favor, Nikolai. Uh, let's let, let's get you a win over here, Nick. Why don't you make this first pick? I thought pick I won two this year, but maybe not. Okay, so. This card, I mean, this card does not have any um, blowouts with respect to the fight odds, really. In fact, I don't think that there's anyone listed at more than like plus two sixty. Uh, I think you might be right. As a plus two sixty underdog, so you know everyone's kind of a live dog on this card. I'm going to pick. Um, there's a fight 
between two guys that both lost uh, their last bout. It's a flyweight fight between Kai Carr of France, um, who I believe is fighting in his home in his home nation, uh, against Tyson Nam. And I'm going to pick France, who lost uh, to Brendan Moreno, who is a terrific fighter that I've been underrating for a while. I like France's skills a lot. Um, he's young, he's fast, he's creative, and he's fighting Tyson Nam, who's a, a good fighter who had a, a an okay run in World Series of fighting. He took he took a number of losses there, um, but he's he's about ten years older. And I think Tyson Nam is just one of these guys who was fighting in other um, divisions, other organizations around the world, and got to the got to the big show a little bit late. And I think Kaikara France is young, improving between each fight. I'm sure he's been working his butt off since taking the loss to Moreno. Um, he had a nice win before that. Nam lost to Sergio Pettis in a not particularly competitive bout in his uh, in his UFC debut. I I think this is Kaikara France's uh, fight. I think he's going to be younger, faster, better everywhere. Yeah, I'm there with you. He's quite a bit busier. Um, I think he's got a little bit of a physical disadvantage in this fight in that he's four, three inches shorter than Tyson Nam. But I'm all the way there with you, and that would have been my first pick as well. So good first one, Nikolai. Uh, my first pick is going to be Yan Zeonan over Carolina Kowokowicz. I think if Carolina is firing on all cylinders, she has the skills to beat Yan. But she's been looking very mediocre lately. And I don't necessarily have enough reason to believe that she's kind of back to her old stride when she was in her winning ways. She's only 2-5 and five in her last seven fights after going undefeated, including several fights in the UFC. So I have some concern about where Carolina is. Huh. Very interesting because I was actually going to – I've always picked correctly against Carolina even when you haven't previously. Right. And I've said I'm not going to get burned by picking her. I was actually going to pick her later. Um, because for a couple of reasons, she's taken quite a long break between fights and yes, she has those five losses, um, with a cup, you know, she has her win against Fleece Harrigan there, um, another win against a lesser opponent there. Um, you know, and she hasn't won a whole lot since like four, four years ago or so when she beat Rose Namajunas in a very good fight. Um, but, uh, Yan Nan has not fought the level of competition and I just think even Alexa Grasso, I think, is a higher level of competition. So I think that KK um, is going to show up and and really um, bring it in this fight. I'd, lo- I'd love to see her get over that mental hump um, and win. And I've got I've just got I got a hunch that she's going to get it done. Maybe I'm, cool. maybe I'm wrong. And, and I'm glad. Listen, I'm glad you picked it and not me. But I'm also hopeful that you're going to lose. Yeah, it sounds like so far the picks are going your way, my friend. Go for it. What's next? Let's see. Let's see. Next. All right. I'm going to go. <laughs> call me crazy. I'm going to break right into the main event. Uh, much probably, probably much sooner than you were planning on it. But I ha- I think that the odds are all screwed up in this fight. I, I think that this is a fight between, uh, between Dan Hooker and the Irish dragon, Paul Felder. Um, Hooker's taller, Hooker's longer, but um felt the way that Paul Felder has grown uh, over the last two years as a fighter and really over his career from being kind of a, a kind of a wild banger and brawler, a technical one, but someone who just, you know, he always had the sense that he wanted to, he was fighting for fight of the night, not necessarily fighting as strategically as he could. And he's obviously such a very smart guy. 
if you've heard him do commentary, he's the, the kid's got a real brain. Um, and he's he has all sorts of great insights. And watching his last couple of victories, how he was able to beat Barbosa by decision after losing to him, um, you know, a, a couple of years before, how he was able to um, be very patient and call his shots against the much taller uh, James Vick. Um, and when I watch Hooker fight, Hooker does well against guys that make mistakes, who leave their chins out there for him to knee. I don't. I think he's a little. I think he's a little more wild than Felder is, which and he can be unpredictable. I just think that I think Paul Felder is a much uh, a much sounder uh, and more and more technical fighter. They're both tough as hell, and I think this is going to be a great fight. I just think Paul Felder is a better fighter than Dan Hooker, and I, I whether that whether this fight is in Boston or Auckland, I think uh, I pick Paul Felder every time. Yeah, I disagree on the pick, and this was actually going to be. Just uh, just one pick for like the pick I'm about to make was going to be ahead of this main event, but the main event was next for me, and I was going to pick Dan Hooker. I here's the thing: Paul Felder is not really much of a finisher. Dan Hooker is generally a finisher, beat finish kind of guy, and I know that their performances against Edson Barboza leave Paul Felder looking a little bit better than Dan Hooker. Hooker got finished and he was just going tit for tat with Barboza in that fight. Whereas Paul Felder took a decision that a lot of people thought he didn't deserve. As a matter of fact, Nick, if we look at Paul Felder's career in the UFC, it's the strikers that have given him issues. It's not really the grapplers that he's had trouble against. So he beat Barboza, but a lot of people think he didn't deserve that win, right? And that was his last fight. He was notably slower than Barboza, even though he was bigger. Than the guy. James Vick, he beat, but James Vick was in the middle of a knockout streak in which he was getting finished by everyone. And Paul Felder took a somewhat competitive decision over him, right? And again, another striker who was more formidable against him than that point in his, his career should have allowed him to be. Mike Perry beat him by decision before that. Yeah, that was at 170, mind you. True, but Paul Felder's a big motherfucker. Mike Perry doesn't have a whole lot of stats and reach and height that are better than Paul Felder's. And Mike Perry, who's not a very technical guy, was able to beat him striking, right? He beat Stevie Ray and Alex Ricci, who are not high-level fighters. But Charles Oliveira, he beat back before Charles Oliveira came into this new version of himself. And you know how he did it, Nick? He did it on the ground. Francisco Trinaldo beat him. Um, granted by cut stoppage, Ross Pearson beat him back in the day. Edson Barboza beat him back in the day, and there yeah, even that, that several... Ross Pearson decision was ridiculous. Well, uh, right now looking at MMA decisions, let's see. Fel- uh, Pearson beats Felder. Let me see what the uh, let me see what Uh-oh, the general consensus was. My, you're calling my bluff. I am. The consensus was overwhelmingly in Pearson's favor. Only oh. two of the one, two, three, four, five uh, of the twelve or fifteen. Uh, MMA journalist that scored that fight only two gave it to Felder, um, so he didn't. I mean, I didn't rewatch that it's fight fine. to be honest with you. It was a long time ago. ago but... True, but just looking at his record, right? The majority of his fights goes goes to decision. And if you knock out a couple of those fights in which he didn't deserve the decision win uh, against guys like Jason Sago, believe it or not, more people thought in his UFC debut or maybe his second fight in the UFC, more people thought Jason Sago deserved that decision over Paul Felder back in 2014. Granted, it was ages ago, but right? But you also um, talk then, you get to the yeah. same thing about Hooker. He lost to Jason Knight and Maximo Blanco. Definitely. But I, I paid attention and I actually watched some tapes specifically to see who was in his corner at the time. And it seems like he was training with everybody but 
the team that he's with now, City Kickboxing. It seems like at some point, the head trainer of City Kickboxing, whose name escapes me, and I apologize because in my opinion, he's one of the best coaches out there. Um, he just kind of came into his corner leading into uh, his exit from 145. And then he he went from being kind of outside the cage for a while to eventually actually taking over as his main head coach. So I think a lot of it has to do his improvement with the fact that he trains with guys like Israel Adesanya, the fact that he trains with a team like City Kickboxing now, uh, the fact that he doesn't cut the insane amount of weight that he used to cut. And here's the thing. Paul Felder has not done well against strikers. He's he's actually a better grappler, in my opinion, than a lot of uh, the striking opponents that he's lost to. He tends to lose to the strikers. He's not very fast for the division. Now, I do like that Paul Felder went into New Zealand early. From what I understand, he's been there a couple of weeks by the time the fight starts, which is great. He's given himself the chance to get acclimated. But Dan Hooker is going to have the crowd in his favor. He's going to have his boy Israel Adesanya in the crowd in the front row. He's going to have one of the best teams in the world in his corner and who ran his training camp. And I think he's going to have the edge over Paul Felder, who granted is improving by a good margin. Um, but Paul Felder so- doesn't really hurt guys. He doesn't really finish guys. And and his opponent, in this case, Dan Hooker, is a finisher, be finished kind of guy. Um if he if he loses more often than not it's it's actually no he he's got a few he's got a few decision losses in addition to some finish losses but he finishes every one of his well, goddamn Fel- fights. Felder doesn't really get finished either. I mean he got he lost by a cut to Trinaldo, but that's pretty much it. No, no, you're right. Uh, but right. I, so I think here's another think, wild prediction for you. Yes, Felder's going to win this fight, and then in the summer, Felder's going to fight Connor in Ooh. Ireland. Whoa. In Ireland. So you're saying the Irish dragon, who is neither Irish nor a dragon, is is going to come into Ireland and fight Conor McGregor? Fascinating. Yeah, that's what I think is going to. I think that's I think that's the a fight that Con, that if he beats Hooker and becomes top, uh, Hooker's number five right now in the in the lightweight division. Right. If Felder beats him and takes over five or gets moves up to four or whatever, um, that's a fight that makes sense for a shot at Khabib. It's a fight that McGregor can win. And the Irish dragon that doing that fight in Dublin would be it would be everything that Con- that Connor wants. And remember, Connor even said after his fight with Cerrone, he made a little comment. He's like, "There's a lot of guys. There's even a guy behind the microphone over there." That was terrible. I'll never do that again. <laughs> um, but uh, but he you know he made a little reference to Felder on, when he was on the mic with Rogan. So I I think. I think that's good business. I think a lot more people would want to see that than Dan Hooker against uh, against Connor. And it's not like you know, it's not like it's not like Felder's a champion wrestler. Uh, no, so, Felder's definitely not a champion wrestler. I, I do think though, if Felder gets an impressive win over Dan Hooker, I question whether Connor would want to fight him. I don't know if you heard about Connor's most recent call out, but I, I don't know if he was joking and he didn't clarify at all. But he essentially tweeted. That he would like a fight between right Diego Sanchez after he looked the absolute worst in his career after fighting uh, maybe but he's called Diego Sanchez out a few years ago right he was trying to set up that fight leading up to the Jose Aldo fight and his last fight he chose a guy coming off of two horrifying knockout losses um, and then he knocked him out in the first round look much like uh, John Jones I think Conor McGregor might be uh, might be very choosy about his matchups at this point He's although not I give him pick a guy not in the top 25 at <laughs> the weight in the he, weight class. he wanted to fight Frankie Edgar for a while there too I don't know I mean we'll, well see Frankie I... Edgar is an all-time is an all-time great and I don't 
listen, he was called. He they were there was the talk of the Frankie fight when Frankie was still, you know, when Frankie was was embarrassing A.A. Rodriguez. Like the Conor Frankie thing was going on for a while. Frankie's only, you know, fallen, you know, fallen down in the last you know year or so. Frankie Edgar has not has he fought since Conor McGregor called him out. Um... Yeah, he, he lost his last fight against the zombie since then. But again, that's why Conor McGregor wanted to fight him is because he thought that he could do to him what the zombie did. Um, I think Conor McGregor's being pretty choosy about his opponents. I don't. I mean, I'm not convinced that he actually wants to fight Diego Sanchez next, especially after that horrifyingly weird, weird fight. I, I think there are better names out there. A, a win over whom would kind of value him a little bit higher, but. It's weird that he like. Why would he even tweet? Like, why would you tweet that even as a joke? Like, what is? Because he's been drinking. He's been drinking proper. Maybe. Proper what? And proper maybe nine, proper 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 dozen something. Proper. What is it? It's proper twelve. Proper Are you 12. joking? <laughs> uh, I thought no, I thought we were both doing a bit. That's no, funny. I couldn't remember. <laughs> All right. Yeah, what so, else? So, who's next? Who's next? Let's uh, get this. Uh, let's get this card moving. Yes, sir. I, I do disagree with you on that main event pick, but we will see how that works out. Uh, okay. At welterweight, Nick, I'm going to make my second pick, Jake Matthews, to beat Emil Weber-Meek. Emil looked right. really bad in his last UFC fight where he was just getting take yep. down, take, taken down at will by a Polish guy who's not necessarily known for his takedowns. Jake Matthews definitely mixes in enough takedowns, and Jake Matthews is going to have the crowd on his side. He didn't have to travel very far to fight here from Australia, so I expect Jake Matthews to do his thing and win a decision over Emil yep. Weber Meek. But Emil could land a big shot and finish it at some point. I had the same. I had the exact same pick for the exact same reason. Um, and for my next pick, I'm going to go. You know, I love I love my Sambo guys. I'm going to go with Magomed uh, Mustafaev uh, to defeat Brad uh, Riddle. Um, I believe if my notes are correct, Riddle's a, you know, Riddle's a kickboxing guy. Um, hasn't, I just, a, a Sambo guy against a kickboxer, I'm going to pick the Sambo guy every time. I think Riddle's going to go for several rides in, uh, over the course of this fight. Nick, I have to say, I know that a guy with the name Magomed Mustafaev would just make <laughs> you assume that he's a grappler, but the guy's not a grappler at all. In Wait, fact, he's, isn't he a Sambo guy? Not at all. He's he's an explosive, explosive spinning striker. Then I'm then I'm talking about someone else because the guy I saw had a bunch of submissions. No, I, I don't. I mean, Magomed Mustafaev uh, is fairly. You know, if you want to take him down, you probably can. He's got a record of fourteen and three, which is impressive. But just looking at his record, he has got one win by ankle lock, one win by choke back in the day, back in two thousand fourteen and thirteen, and I. I mean, maybe one other submission besides that. He, he's he's definitely more of a knockout puncher, definitely a, a spinning heel kick kind of guy. He actually fought a similar opponent, Rafael Faziev, in his last UFC fight. Got a spinning heel kick to the head, finished him with strikes. Um, yeah. It's this is actually a particularly interesting. Why did I think he's a Sambo guy? Because of his name, goddammit. it! No, I thought I saw <laughs> it on top. Of, I, it's not just because of his name. <laughs> Fair enough, uh, but he is. Oh, I, I think he's also I a Dagestani fighter. To your point. I don't want to embarrass myself. No, he's from so. He's, well, he fights out of Sochi. Yeah, he is. He is Dagestani. Let me go to his topology page. You might have. Uh, you might have called me out, man. I'm, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, not the not the biggest deal. And by the way, I do think against Brad Riddle, who I don't know if you know, Brad Riddle is the kickboxing coach at City Kickboxing, where Israel Adesanya and Dan Hooker train. Well, this guy's a, he's affiliated with Jackson Wink. His foundation style is listed as Sambo. 
Uh, he used he uh, used to got, train at Jackson Wink. He's got a rear naked choke. He's got several choke victories and an armbar victory and a triangle victory. So I had I had a uh, yeah. I guess I should have watched more tape. Yeah, I mean he's got a spinning back kick finish. He's got a knees and punches finish. He's got a finish by spinning back fist over Peter Holman, in which he got a cut stoppage, uh, a slam stoppage. He just sounds yeah. he sounds awesome. Oh, he's incredibly explosive. And Rafael Faziev, the guy that he beat in his last UFC fight, is known as like a guy with something like 200 kickboxing bouts, and he knocked him out in the first round, got him out of there. And Brad Riddle right. is a very similar kind of opponent. Brad Riddle had a war in his uh, UFC debut there and, and beat, uh, I think uh, it wasn't Callum Potter, whoever it was. Uh, bottom line is, I do I agree with you on Callum the pick. Potter. Uh, no, I, I, I no, think Colin he Potter, fought Jamie right, Malarkey. Um, so I do agree with you on the pick, and that was a couple of picks later for me. Um, Magomed is surprisingly, yeah, it makes sense, a little bit of the favorite. But Brad Riddell has got a shitload of heart. He's got the conditioning, I think, where Magomed doesn't necessarily. So I wouldn't be surprised if this fight goes late. I wouldn't be surprised if the crowd really cheers Riddell on to win a late stoppage or decision. Magomed literally has never been to decision, and so I wonder how good his cardio is. Um, but we are on the same page on the picks on that one. My next pick, Nick, I mean, yeah, I think the rest of these are essentially pickums. I'm going to take Shayna Dobson to beat Priscilla Cachoeira. Yeah. And and it's mostly because I think Shayna Dobson sucks less than Priscilla Cachoeira does. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Priscilla Cachoeira do anything in any of her three fights that makes me that would make me pick her as bad as Shayna Dobson looked in her last fight. We don't need to talk more. We don't need to talk more about this one. No, sir. Um, oh, boy. Now, this one gets really interesting. I'm going to pick um, a fighter who's pro- I think who would have the chance to pick up two victories faster than anyone else in 2020. Your <laughs> friend, Angie Hill, um, against Loma uh, Um It's certainly going to be a kickboxing uh, bout. Um I think Lukbunmi looked really good in her in her last fight. She's still kind of new to the UFC. I feel like yep. Angie's going to be better uh, better rounded. I think she's a little bit bigger, um, and she just seems hungry, man. She's like she's fighting a lot. I think this is her ninth fight in two years um, in the UFC, and she's going to have a lot of confidence coming off of her uh, TKO of Hannah Cyphers. So i I think I think it's a I think it's a good I think it's going to be a good challenging fight, but um, I just think Angie's got more tools in the toolbox here. What do you think? Yeah, I, I give Angela the edge in this one. I think looking at Angela Hill as a 11 and 7 fighter, or better yet, how about 9 and 7 as of a couple of fights ago? I think those days are over. Like she's clearly hitting a stride. She trains with the Lions MMA and is really tapped into that gym and I think started to use their resources and, and the know how of guys like Dominic Cruz to her advantage. She finished her last two opponents, and at 115, finishes do not come very frequently. And Angela Hill went from either losing uh, or winning by decision to now getting two stoppage victories over fairly respectable opponents, their combined records being 22-4, and four, Nick. So, yeah, I like her to beat uh, Loma Lukbumi here. Angela Hill was, I believe, 16-0 in Muay Thai in the New York scene under Brandon Levy, a friend of mine who owns Evolution Muay Thai. Um, but Lugbumi is actually a super experienced Thai fighter who I yes. think has a really good shot. So I think the odds are a little bit lopsided here. But given Angela Hill's point in her career and the fact that Lugbumi only has five fights in MMA, I, I do favor Angela Hill here in this one. And that was going to be my next pick as well, Nick. So good oh, one I there. mean, 
Worst comes to worst, if Angie's eating it a little bit, she gra- she grabs under her knee and trips her. Right, like she should. It's not like she doesn't know what she's doing on the ground, especially against a fighter that doesn't isn't an experienced jujitsu fighter. Yeah, I mean, Luke Bumi's been uh, training with Tiger Muay Thai, which I think you know, if any gym's going to prepare you uh, for for high level MMA, if you're coming off of Muay Thai, that's probably the one to go with. So I do think she's. I mean, her clinch game is nasty. She's going to be the shorter fighter here with the shorter reach, but yeah, I do favor Angela. But I see the dangers, man. Like Luke Bumi was, you know, a multi time champion in Muay Thai, whereas Angela Hill went sixteen and zero. I think mostly as an amateur. Uh, in the New York scene. So there is a difference there in their actual Muay Thai experience. But you're right. Angela Hill should have the ground game advantage. She can get that top position. She should be able to do her thing like she did in her last fight. Um, what do you my, got next, buddy? My next pick, I guess I'll take Jalen Turner. I, I might regret this, but I I guess I'll take Jalen Turner to beat Joshua Kulibao. Uh, mostly because Kulibao is taking it on short notice and he trains with... Uh, a team that doesn't really have a whole lot of super high-level MMA fighters. But the tape that I've watched on him, man, he looks really sharp, uh, good range kickboxer. And Jalen Turner, what I realized about him, first of all, the guy's got – he's not that far off from a 500 record at 8-5, and right? And he's got a bunch of losses throughout his career. It's not like he's hitting his stride all of a sudden. He's 1-2 and in the UFC now with the win over Callum Potter. Seems like if he doesn't finish you in the first round, it's kind of downhill for him. Every fight that's gone past the first round on his record, Nick, he's lost. So right. would not at all be surprised if Joshua Kulibawa, who's a local fighter there, who took it on a couple of weeks' notice, uh, does his thing and out kickboxes Jalen Turner with pressure. Yeah, maybe. I really Jalen Turner, I really liked his, the Matt Favola fight. I thought for a while it looked like it was going his way, and then you know it didn't. Yeah, I actually predicted that one because I expected Favola's pressure to, to take over in the second half of the fight, and that's how the fight went. I'm proud of, uh, proud of that pick in particular. Go on, buddy. Um, well, con- con- fucking congratulations there. Pat yourself Thank you. on the back. Every chance with, I get with your with your <laughs> long ass arms. Um, yes, sir. Okay, so <laughs> so I'm gonna go with a. This is a tricky pick and fight, but I'm gonna go with the hometown guy, um, or at least the the regional guy, uh, Jimmy Crute over Mikhail Oleks. Oh, God damn it, Polish. <laughs> Oleks, help me out here. Oleksichik, I think. Well, yeah, that sounds good. Mikhail Oleksichik. Oleksichik. God damn it. Mikhail Oleksichik. <laughs> I've gotten pretty good with a lot of the other ones. Yes, you uh, have. Kovalkevich, Gino Zinkic, yeah, Ole, I don't know Ole if you're good at that one, but you're getting there. Uh, Joanna Zinkic. I think they pronounce it Yenjacek, but who knows? Maybe Yen-Jacek. you're pronouncing it the proper way for the Polish. Yeah, choke on a fucking pierogi. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a, I'm gonna pick Jimmy Crute. I think this is like this is gonna this is a pick 'em fight where there's gonna be some leather and. I uh, I just I like uh, I think Cruz a little bit bigger, um, a little bit stronger, and he's going to be at home. Um, so I think he's I think Cruz the brute is going to um, get the TKO. Yeah, I think Cruz might have a ground game advantage here, and he is the taller man, and he is local. All of those things are to his advantage. McCall is an excellent pressure fighter. He tends to put take take guys out in the first round, and in his last fight, going into the second round for the first time in a while, he ended up looking exhausted when he took a bunch of body shots from uh, Ovin St. Preux. Jim Crute throws body kicks all of the time, like he did in his last fight that led to him getting taken down a few times. So I, I am submitted, there, yeah. I'm there with you. Yeah, but I, I used to be a big believer in Mikhail Olianchuk. I hope it was just a one-off where his 
gas tank wasn't very good against Ovin St. Preux, but he was piecing up Ovin St. Preux. Those first five minutes, I think John Jones would only dream of five minutes like that against OSP and, and their fight. But then everything fell apart for him once he uh, took bottom position and gave up yeah. that uh, but Jimmy, choke. Jimmy Crude's a tough dude, man. He's never, you know, that was his, that was his first loss. True. Um, against a sneaky submission. He kimura the bear Jew, Paul Craig. He knocked out Sam Alvey, who's known for taking a shitload of punishment and not going down. True. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know that he's going to be any, you know, I don't know that he's going to sniff a shot at John Jones anytime soon, but he's a BJJ black belt and uh, just a tough, tough son of a bitch. So, yeah, I'm there uh, with you. My next picnic is going to be. I don't like picking heavyweight fights because, goddamn it, they're not reliable. But I'm gonna take the underdog Ben Sassoli, the local so fighter. Was, damn it, so was I. Yeah, to to beat uh, Marcos Rogério de Lima. I think there's a misconception about Rogério de Lima about the Brazilian fighter and that his ground game sucks. His ground game is actually pretty good if he's on top. The thing is that his conditioning is non-existent. After about five minutes, everything falls apart for the guy. And Ben Sassoli at least hung in there against Greg Hardy. Uh, even though it ended up being a no contest instead of a loss for him. I'm going to pick Ben Sassoli here. I think he's a solid boxer. He actually trains with that Jim Crute team, so he's got kind of a big athletic guy with a good ground game to train with leading into this fight. And his experience against uh, Hardy, who you know is obviously an incredibly athletic, hard-hitting guy, leads me to believe that he's going to have the edge here on top of the fact that he's a local fighter. Yeah, I mean, listen, we learned a little something from Justin Taffa, Juan Adams. Um, and I, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick I'll pick short, stocky guys from that region all day long <laughs> over big dudes. Um, all right, so only two fights left on the card, right? I'm seeing three, unless something got canceled. Hmm. I might have. Kellen Potter's song Kinan. Um, yep. Takashi Sato, Maki Patolo. That's right. And, and oh, then yeah. Zubaira Tokugov, Kevin Aguilar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. I'm gonna okay. So. Um, I'm gonna pick uh, Zabar to uh, to Hugov over Kevin Aguiar, but I lost I lost all my notes as to why. Maybe he was maybe he was the guy that I thought was. He is more of the Sambo fighter. He's actually spent okay. a lot of time at AKA with Khabib. He's fairly close to Khabib. I think he was in that post fight melee with Khabib and Connor. Yeah. Um, I was in so, that. I was in that fight. Yeah, which which side were you on? But I was, Were you I with was, the Irish was, or with the with was, the was, Dagestani? I I threw my diet Dr Pepper towards Dylan Dennis and one piece of ice kind of hit him. That's pretty good. I didn't even realize you were in the crowd, Nick. That's impressive stuff. Did was, you see that was that, that was that, called, that was none of that was true. <laughs> I know none of that was true. You think I wouldn't know if you were there live? For God's sake, I wouldn't. Maybe I, maybe I wouldn't tell you because I wouldn't want you to get jealous. Also, for the record, the guy you claim to have thrown that can at is a New Yorker and, and he'll probably find you if he wants to. Oh yeah. He's one of our dozens of listeners. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And no, it was, and it was a, it was a fountain drink. It was a paper cup. I wouldn't throw a can. Oh, fair enough. All right. You have some decency when it comes to throwing shit at fighters. Fair enough, Nick. Good, good for you. Buddy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a decent pick. I, Kevin Aguilar is a really good fighter and, his one loss in the UFC was to Dan Ige, who's you know turning out to be a really really good fighter, and it was a you know semi competitive decision. So I can see Zubara kind of shitting the pan here, who you know he's coming off a couple of weird fights himself, fights like once a year for some reason. 
I could see this fight going either way, but I did end up agreeing with you by a small margin with Zubara Tahugov, who, you know, can take get takedowns and he's fairly fast, at least early in a fight. He does get very tired as the fight goes on, though, so there are some concerns about that. My next picnic, I'm going wait, to wait, take. Wait, 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 wait. This just in a tweet from Darren Hill. Yes. We're having these visa issues and the contract issues, and a few people were like, oh, he doesn't want to fight Jared. Mate, come on. That's not the case. Everyone knows that I'm here to fight anyone, apart from you all. <laughs> Wait, who the hell is Darren Hill? Darren Till. Oh, Darren. I see. I see. That's funny. That is very anyway, funny. Sorry to interrupt um, you, but that just came just came out of the desk. That that was important stuff, Nick. Important, important stuff. Any Darren Till tweets from now on, let's go ahead and announce them in the middle of our show. Um, for my next pick, Nikolai, and I think you just have the tiebreaker left after that. I think I'm going to give the edge to. I guess I'll give the edge to Takashi Sato over Maki Patoli, who kind of shit the bed against Callum Potter the last time he was in this region of the world. Just kept getting taken down at will. And Sato's not a very busy fighter. I think Patoli might be busier, but I figure Sato, if he lost, uh, if he saw Patoli's last fight against an athletic slow guy who got basically outstruck and outgrappled, I figure Takashi should be able to land enough right hands and get a takedown or two to pick up a decision victory there. What are your thoughts? Um, I've got I've got Sato over Patoli. Same page. What is yep. uh, what's your tie-breaking pick, Nicola? Uh, uh, Song Keenan over Callan Potter. Song Keenan. I ended up giving Colin Potter the slightest of edges because he's the hometown guy, but you're probably right. So Nick's, uh, Nick's great. So let's quickly run down our picks for the listeners, Nikolai. Uh, your first pick was Kaikara France. Second pick was uh, Paul Felder. Your third... Irish dragon. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Who's neither Irish nor a dragon. Your third pick was Magomed Mustafaev. Fourth pick was Angela Hill for you, Nick. Your fifth pick... Was it Jim Crute? Um, yeah, or Angela? I think. Wait, did you already do my Angie Hill pick? Uh, yeah, I already did. You got Zavara Tukugov oh, yeah, yeah. and Kroot, Jim Crute. Kroot, uh, Musta, uh, no, I picked Mustafayev before Crute. That, that's right. Uh, I've got Yan Zaunan. I've got Jake Matthews, Shayna Dobson. I picked uh, Takashi Sato as my last pick. Uh, I did pick Ben Sassoli, and I also got Joshua. Uh, I'm sorry, Jalen Turner over Joshua uh, Um Nick, that'll do it for our picks for the event. I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of major MMA news to cover besides this weird situation with Diego Sanchez and John Jones and the such. Roxy got her black belt. That's cool. Roxy got her black belt. That is pretty badass. It does sound like uh, she's probably not going to be fighting for the title next. It sounds like all signs are pointing toward your other favorite fighter at the division. Um, her teammate. Jojo. That's right, Jojo Calderwood. And yeah, it's, it's all, all, all power to Roxy, man. I hope that she can beat. Uh, who was it that called her out recently, Nick? Lauren Murphy. Oh, Lauren Murphy. That's right. I, I hope that she can do well with the That should be a winnable fight. I guess, uh, Lauren, I'm not sure what her takedown defense is like. I'm probably going to be mostly defense on the Otherwise, I enjoy it.